Hi, I'm Gianna Volpe, and thank you for listening to The Heart of the East End on WLIWFM, the show where we get to the heart of any matter at hand with folks from all walks of life on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. We stream online at WLIW.org radio and welcome your comments, questions, and collaborations of all kinds on The Heart of the East End. Live from the WLIWFM studio in Southampton, New York, I'm Gianna Volpe with local news on Long Island's only NPR radio station. Long Islanders should resume wearing masks in crowded indoor locations as COVID-19 indicators tick up, medical experts said yesterday, with a number of new official daily cases in Nassau and Suffolk combined surpassing 1,800. Bart Jones reports on Newsday.com that infectious disease specialists said the real number of new cases is far higher than that because many people are home testing and not reporting the results to the state. Quote, it's reasonable that in crowded indoor set- settings, people mask, said Dr. David Hirschwork, medical director of North Shore University Hospital in Manhasset and an infectious disease expert. I'm not saying here to say things that uh, say to say that things should be shut down or that people shouldn't go out or people shouldn't have meals out. He said, I do think there are steps that people can take to protect themselves and contribute to a blunting of the rise. And quote, the B.A.5 Omicron subvariant is fueling what some experts called a new wave of infections. They expect numbers to keep rising, but can't predict how high. In response, New York City last week urged people to wear masks in all indoor locations as well as in crowded outdoor settings. Experts said that whilst case numbers are increasing, hospitalizations and deaths have not jumped because BA.5, while highly transmissible, does not cause as severe illness as last summer's Delta variant. Nassau currently is a high transmission area, according to CDC, while Suffolk is a medium transmission area, in Nassau and Suffolk counties, wearing a mask indoors remains voluntary. Looking at inflation, in 2020, Holly Wheaton was paying 77 cents for a dozen eggs when she was ordering for the spring's food pantry. Just two years later, she's finding herself paying $2.75 a dozen. That is a crazy jump. Kaylin Riley reports on 27East.com that Vicki Littman at East Hampton Food Pantry felt she could always rely on chicken to be an affordable source of protein for the clients the pantry serves. She's currently absorbing the sticker shock of $5.99 a pound for poultry. Molly Bishop, who runs the food pantry for Heart of the Hamptons in Southampton Village, has seen similar price increases as well, and on some days, items the pantry has ordered simply don't show up. The food pantry in St. Rosalie's Church in Hampton Bays, Catherine Andrejack, is seeing a surge in demand from people living on fixed incomes. Food pantries on the East End faced an unprecedented challenge in early 2020 when the pandemic descended on the country and millions of people lost their jobs, leading to a huge and rapid surge in demand. More than two years later, the clients the food pantries were serving during that time are still playing catch-up on bills and other expenses they incurred during long periods of time out of work. It's all happening in the summer when demand is typically lower because many people are able to take on extra seasonal work. The likelihood that inflation will remain high 
into the fall and winter months when many families concurrently have less money coming in and expenses rise is something on the minds of directors as well. The enormous increase in the cost of home heating oil alone could drive some families to seek assistance from the food pantry for the first time. Nevertheless, pantry directors express gratitude for the support they see throughout their towns and communities, while noting multifaceted support will be key in sustaining pantries going forward. Following up on yesterday's reports from Southampton Town Police on the fatal hit-and-run accident that left Leroy Quentin Ferry of East Quag dead at 5.45 yesterday morning on County Road 104 in Riverside, police are still looking for a tan 2002 GMC Envoy with damage on the passenger side. I repeat, a tan GMC SUV with passenger side damage. If you see this vehicle or know something that can help police, please do call 631-702-2230. Just giving you a moment in case you want to pull over safely just to take this number. 631-702-2230. If you see a tan SUV, a GMC Envoy, uh, They are believed to be in connection with the fatal hit-and-run crash that left 38-year-old Leroy Quinton Ferry of East Quag dead yesterday morning. In Riverhead, the Riverhead uh, IDA on Monday approved financial assistance for the developer of a 37-unit apartment building with street-level offices to be built at the corner of 205 Osborne Avenue and Court Street. The developer received its final site plan approval from the town board last week. Denise Civiletti reports on RiverheadLocal.com that the $19.6 million project is the first within the Railroad Avenue Overlay District to gain approvals from the town. The district, enacted by the town board in January 2021, is intended to incentivize investment and redevelopment of the area surrounding the Riverhead LIRR station, and provides developers with opportunities for increased density and a greater variety of uses. The area is within a Town of Riverhead urban renewal area and one of two federally designated opportunity zones in the Town of Riverhead. The town has also adopted a transit-oriented development plan for the area and picked a master developer for a key project on the site of a town-owned parking lot directly opposite the 205 Osborne Avenue site, Developer last month demolished the existed, uh, the existing blighted former medical office building that had been sitting vacant on that corner for many years. Staying in Riverhead in honor of our first guest this morning on the Heart, licensed social work social workers Robin Berger Gaston and Kathy Rosenthal of Family Service League, after Monday night's lecture during Mental Health Awareness Month at the Riverhead Free Library, entitled "How to Speak with Your Kids." about suicide and other difficult subjects. Looking like a sunny, beautiful Wednesday morning, high near 87 degrees, stay cool. If you can, northwest wind, eight to, uh, 6 to 10 miles per hour. A 20% chance of showers and thunderstorms after 2 a.m. tonight. Increasing clouds with a low around 68 degrees, south wind around 5 miles per hour, becoming calm in the evening. Right now it's 79 degrees, Starting this uh, morning's playlist with a track I played for you today, 
two years ago, I believe, uh, a, a nice cover from Puss in Boots down by the river. Neil Young cover uh, live from the Bell House in Brooklyn from the No Fools, No Fun record of 2014. I'm Gianna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you are awesome. You're listening to Long Island's only local NPR uh, radio station, WLIWFM. Take my
As mentioned, this morning's playlist is somewhat of a repeat from two years ago today. Uh, I did add some tracks on the back end. I think we're going to need to round out the show. Um, And I believe I built it around a song request from uh, a fan or, well, a friend. Uh, Kristen Asher O'Rourke of Jamesport Art and Framing requested uh, Fairies Wear Boots from Black Sabbath. So you'll hear that in two tracks. I believe I built this whole playlist around them. Nancy Sinatra, Bob Dylan, Black Sabbath, and the Nancy Atlas Project. You're listening to the heart of the East End. You call love, but the morning and midnight show. Here on WLIWFM. Stay tuned. These boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. One of these days, these boots are gonna walk all over you. By the way, say hi to Kristen if you see her out there. And why, Gianna, I know you're wondering, why are you replaying something you played for us? I was giving myself a little extra time uh, because I was busy reading Eve Carlin's Track 61 this morning to prepare for our interview with her. A little later this morning on the Heart of the East End. I'm sailing away in the morning. Is it something I can send you from across this deep? From the place that I've been landing. No, there's nothing you can send me, my own true love. 
There's nothing I'm wishing to be on in Just to carry yourself back to me unspoiled I'm across that lonesome ocean Ah, but I just thought you might want something fine Made a silver or of golden Either from the mountains of Madrid Or from the coast of Barcelona But if I had the stars on the darkest night And the diamonds from the deepest ocean I'd forsake them all for your sweet kiss For that's all I'm wishing to be owning But I might be gone a long old time And it's only that I'm asking Is there something I can send you To remember me by To make your time more easy passing Oh, how can, how can you ask me again? It only brings me sorrow This same thing I would want today I will want again tomorrow Oh, I got a letter on a lonesome day It was from her ship, a sailing Saying I don't know when I'll be coming back again It depends on how I'm feeling If you, my love, must think that way I'm sure your mind is a Roman I'm sure your thoughts are not with me But with the country to where you're going So take heed, take heed of the western winds Take heed of the stormy weather And yes, there's something you can send back to me Spanish boots are Spanish leather
Bob Dylan boots of Spanish leather leading us into the Wednesday works segment underwritten by Robert James Salon. Our first two guests, uh, the works they do are of utmost importance, in my opinion. Uh, one of the most positive things to come through the pandemic uh, is the focus and the destigmatization. Is that a word on um, mental health? and working on one's own. It is Mental Health Awareness Month, and uh, Robin Berger-Gaston and Kathy Rosenthal of Family Service League put together a lecture this Monday at the Riverhead Free Library entitled How to Speak with Your Kids About Suicide and Other Difficult Subjects. First of all, thank you both so much for putting this program together and for being with us this morning. We're happy to be here. Welcome. Yep. Happy to be here. Kathy, I know we both couldn't make it on Monday. So, Robin, I'd love to start with you by hearing about the response from the public to this event. What did people want to know? People were definitely concerned about their own families and their children in particular and what signs to look for. Um, We talked about risk factors. Uh, and warning signs, and that um, sometimes with suicide, um, it has happened where there are no warning signs. Right. And we talked about keeping the door open for communication to allow children to talk when they're ready. So before we get further into sharing a bit from the program for parents who missed out, Kathy, can you tell us a little bit about how the program was put together to begin with? Sure. I mean, Family Service League, you know, which is a very large nonprofit human services agency with a footprint across Long Island, has been doing a lot of work in crisis and trauma and suicide prevention for many, many years. But the disturbing trend we're seeing is for an increase in youth suicide. Right. And so we, we respond to those suicides. And in the last year, many school districts and have reached out to us to do education because they're seeing this disturbing trend. So we've been called upon, um, you know, most recently in Riverhead to do this kind of programming, and we're happy to do it because we know the only way to help uh, mitigate this problem and increasing trend is to, you know, really chip away at the stigma that prevents people from coming and getting help and from helping people to better understand what are those warning signs, risk factors, and strategies for helping youth to come forward when they're struggling so that they don't make choice that is irreversible. How much of an increase are we talking about? Well, Family Service League um, responds to suicides Every Suffolk County police officer has our uh, our Joe's Project card. And so they go in after a suicide, they give the family member our card. And then it's their choice to reach out to us. From 2020 to 2021, we had four youth suicides from age 20, zero to 20. In 2021, we had 12. Oh, my God. It's just, and those are only the ones where people reached out to us. Oh my gosh, yeah, so, and that's and, and that's just in our own backyard nationally as well, right? Of course, just, yeah, specific to Suffolk County. Okay, so so let's let's touch on the hows here. Um, obviously, it's very important to talk to your kids 
uh, about suicide. And, and as you mentioned, uh, no matter what, because uh, sometimes there are really no signs uh, ahead of of this unfortunate, horrible uh, uh, act. So let's talk about how to do so um, with all your kids, dare I say. Absolutely. And, you know, like I said, we, we talk about keeping the door open. We talk about um, trying to be as non-judgmental as possible so that the kids know that no matter what they share, that they're not going to be rejected. Um, and to try to find times of day and days of the week that make sense, not to try to have a conversation, you know, in the morning when everybody's getting ready for school and work. Um, sometimes parents do really well talking to their kids in the car because then um, they don't have to necessarily make eye contact and it might be a little safer for the children and they might open up more. Some of the parents who were there Monday night had said that that had been a very uh, successful time that they spoke to their kids and that their kids shared with them was when they were on car rides going different places. Can you give us some examples about how uh, or, or what types of uh, subjects, um, ways to be uh, non-judgmental? Because I know that that is so true that uh, when you're trying to leave an open door, uh, kids sort of test out with their parents and when they get uh, sort of shut down, they can learn not to to bring uh, certain things to their parents in the future. Can you just uh, give us some examples about topics or, or ways of, of non-judgmentally approaching uh, certain issues with their kids? I think so the most can important... I jump? Go ahead, Kathy. <laughs> I was just going to say that, you know, it's really important to normalize validate that life has ups and downs. We all, no one goes through this life without disappointments, challenges, hurts, sometimes being victimized. And when we open that up and model for our children that we have stressors too, that life is challenges, but we have a full range of emotions that we can express when we feel stress, when we feel fear, to really help them understand that all of our emotions are good and okay, but that at certain points when our emotions are, are just subsuming us, that it's okay to reach out and get help. And Robin, can you... Does that give, make sense? Yes, yeah. absolutely. Robin, can you talk a little bit about some examples of, of children speaking with their parents in ways that their parents can... Uh, help their children to uh, to get along? I think, um, I think the message from parents should be, no matter what you tell me, as long as you're happy and healthy, that's the most important thing. And we know that there is a significant higher risk of kids who are LGBTQ um, with suicide attempts. So I think the message needs to get out there that if a child does, you know, think that they might be struggling with one of those issues, that their parents are going to love them no matter what. I think that would be real helpful. Absolutely. And and can you also talk about, now I know that sometimes um, when a, a child is struggling with an issue, let's say being bullied um, or, or, or uh, struggling with feelings of depression or anxiety, uh, they worry about... Uh, a larger reaction that that things are going to change or they're going to be uh, 
made to feel even more different. Uh, what would you say to a parent when it comes to a child that's that's worried about uh, action being taken, uh, you know, to uh, blow up their spot in a way? Sure. Well, I guess every case is so unique and so right. different. You have to really look at the specific um, situation and what are the specific concerns. You know, are they global concerns that everything will be, you know, terrible, or is it a specific concern that, you know, something is going to be said or perceived? Um, So you really have to drill down to find out what exactly it is the person is concerned about. Mm. And I think also with regards to bullies, glad you raised that, is helping our kids understand that Bullies are generally extremely insecure. They may well have been victimized themselves. And helping kids understand that this is not about them. It's, it's not about the person being bullied. And if they can do, you know, to help our kids build resilience, problem-solving skills, coping skills. And so that's all sort of part of that whole matrix that we help our kids understand that, yeah, we're going to probably be hurt, but we have ways to cope with that pain that are not irreversible. Is there any sort of guidance about about sort of flipping, flipping the script in that way and uh, maybe even uh, engaging with the bully in that way? Or is that uh, certainly not uh, something that's that's encouraged? I think they can certainly try to mediate the bully. Um, but what's important and, and what we talk a lot about and what we talked a lot about Monday were um, the way that people react to different situations are completely within their own control. So even exactly. if the bully is taunting um, a youngster, you know, it's the youngster being taunted that can choose whether or not they're going to be impacted by that and how they're going to react. Right. So I would put more focus on that person being bullied. I've seen some great... Exactly. Gr- I've the seen- only thing in our control is how we act and how we react. Amen. Amen. But helping them understand that the bully is probably, A, very insecure, B, looking for attention, and that the one thing that we can do to potentially mitigate the the attack is to not pay attention. Right. Because then they're not getting what they're looking for. To decide that what the person is saying or doing is not hurtful and that, you know, they can and will overcome. It's beautiful stuff. Before I let you two go, uh, resources for folks out there, for, for parents um, who missed out, and uh, and most importantly, for kids who may be feeling that they're in an unsafe situation or need someone to talk to, um, any numbers or, or places that people should go? Well, um, if people are not in crisis and they're just looking for referrals, um, they could call me, and that number would be 631-591-7580. But if people are feeling like they're having an emotional crisis and they need some place to go, um, there is a, we're very fortunate in Suffolk County to have the DASH Center, which is a diagnostic and stabilization hub. It's at 90 Adams Avenue in Hopog. It's open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it's for not for people who are suicidal. It's for people who are having an emotional crisis, who aren't feeling like themselves. And they can walk into DASH and they can get help right away there. We also have a mobile crisis team that operates out of DASH, and that phone number is 
952-3332. Thank you, Kathy. And also, as of Friday, 988 is going to be the National Suicide Hotline, and anyone calling 988 will be connected directly to a suicide response service. Fantastic information. I cannot thank you both enough for what you do and for what you did on Monday night at Riverhead Free Library. It is Mental Health Awareness Month, and we were honored to have on with us this morning Family Service Leagues, Robin Berger, Gaston, and Kathy Rosenthal. I'm Gianna Volpe. This is Black Sabbath, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Deep bow to Robert James Salon for underwriting the Wednesday work segment here on the Morning and Midnight Show, The Heart of the East End.
doubling up on a listener request from two years ago. Another deep bow to our friend Kristen Asher O'Rourke of Jamesport Art and Framing here on the heart of the East End. East End's very own Nancy Atlas Project, Boots on Deck Now, and then a track that fits nicely with our last interview to lick your boots from the Eels 2008. Is that right? I don't think so. Oh, I went with the uh, Yes Man soundtrack version of this song. Brooks and Den on deck after Nancy Atlas and the Eels. I'm Jenna Volpe, and you, whoever you are out there, you're awesome. And you're listening to WLIWFM. Oh. 
Boogieing into and out of the NPR news break and the local news update. Brooks and Dunn, Leonard Skinnerd, Earth, Wind, and Fire, the Emotions and the Andrew Sisters, and a Taste of Honey. Quit 
If you're not already dancing, this next one might inspire you to bust a move. It is Leonard Skinnerd with Hank Williams Jr. live in Atlantic City. Born to Boogie on WLIWFM. Earthwind and Fire leading you into the NPR news break. <laughs> never really a fan of Junior, to be honest. Is that wrong? I don't think so. I don't mind the third, though. I have a record of his, and it's not bad. It's a little punk.
With Long Island local news, I'm Gianna Volpe on WLIWFM. Republican gubernatorial nominee Congressman Lee Zeldin yesterday called for Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg to drop the murder charge against bodega worker Jose Alba for fatally stabbing a man who attacked him on the job. As quoted in the New York Post, quote, there should be an ability for Jose Alba to defend himself for anyone in any place of employment to defend themselves and to stand their ground, Zeldin said at a midday press conference across the street from Bragg's Manhattan office. This isn't justice, Zeldin from Shirley, Long Island added, alongside GOP Lieutenant Governor nominee Allison Esposito, State Attorney, uh, Attorney General nominee Michael Henry, and U.S. Senate nominee Joe Pinion. Zach Williams and Stephen Vago of the New York Post report that Zeldin has vowed to remove Bragg from office over his arrest policies if elected this November over incumbent Democratic uh, Governor Kathy Hochul. Bragg reportedly uh, told city bodega owners Tuesday that he would absolutely consider dropping the charges against Alba. Quote, we are continuing to review the evidence and the investigation is ongoing, a Bragg spokesman said in a statement to the Post. Video footage shows 35-year-old Austin Simon confronting 61-year-old Alba behind the counter at the Hamilton Heights establishment after Simon's girlfriend could not buy a bag of chips because her EBT card got declined. An irate Simon shoves Alba before the deli worker grabs a knife and stabbed Simon repeatedly. Alba, who police arrested and charged with second-degree murder, was also allegedly stabbed by the girlfriend during the incident. Also on the state level, the state of New York is taking applications for $250 million in grants for building projects on Long Island and will continue to do so until the money runs out, officials said. The grants are part of the new $350 million Long Island Investment Fund, which was a last-minute addition to the 2022-23 state budget. James T. Medora reports on Newsday.com that the grants will be distributed to up to four transformative projects, such as large-scale real estate developments, each receiving a minimum of $25 million, and up to 30 projects, each million receiving at least $5 million, according to guidelines adopted last month by the Board of Empire State Development, the state business aid agency that's overseeing the LIIF. The money can be used for business expansions, research and development laboratories, and new buildings on college campuses, but not facilities that will only be used for housing, medical services, or retail shops, the guidelines state. Applications are open and will be accepted until funds are exhausted. That's ESD spokesman Matthew Gorton. The uh, 13-page application may be founded on, and I'm actually going to say this, URL. It's on.ny.gov slash 3NNEC75. Among the requirements is a commitment by applicants to meet an assigned goal for the participation of minority and women-owned contractors in the projects, letters of support from funding partners besides New York State, and where applicable, a letter of support from the union that represents the applicant's employees. And here on the East End, the greening of North Sea Beach commenced last week with the spreading of what will total 500 cubic yards of the mineral olivine along approximately 900 feet of shoreline. Kitty Merrill reports on 27East.com that the goal of the project, the first of its kind anywhere, is to nourish the eroded beaches 
uh, excuse me, the eroded beach while also combating the effects of climate change. Officials gathered at the Peconic Bay site on Wednesday, July 6, to applaud the cutting-edge endeavor. Southampton Town Supervisor Jay Schneiderman lauded the groundbreaking project that will turn the beach into a carbon capture beach. Nearby mounds of olivine were heaped at the road end off North Sea Road, ready to be spread on the shoreline. Found in Hawaii, Norway, and South America, olivine is the most common material in the Earth's mantle, Schneiderman said, noting... Quote, this project has the potential to reverse global warming, end quote. As olivine weathers, it removes one ton of atmospheric carbon dioxide per cubic yard of olivine and permanently stores it in the ocean as dissolved carbon. Interesting. The dissolved carbon also offsets ocean acidification. The olivine used locally was sourced in Norway, where it was ground down to match North Sea sand. Though described as seafoam green by personnel from Project Vesta, the international startup led by CEO Tom Green, the mounds at the road end appeared more minty green as the sun hit it. Very cool. Other times it looked gray in color. Sunnybrook University and Cornell Cooperative Extension are collaborating on the project with Project Vesta, which will cover the $2 million cost of the pilot. This project will be studied and studied for the next two years, Schneiderman said. Monitoring stations were set up about... 300 yards offshore from the site, a research team is charged with quantifying how much carbon is captured. Sediment will be analyzed to ensure there is no impact on the area's ecology. Finally, following up on yesterday's report from Southampton Town Police on the fatal hit-and-run accident that left Leroy Quinton Ferry, 38, of East Quag, dead at 5.45 yesterday morning on County Road 104 in Riverside, police are still looking for a tan 2002 GMC Envoy with damage on the passenger side. I repeat, a tan GMC SUV with passenger side damage. If you see the vehicle or know something that can help police, please do call 631-702-2230. Again, that's 631-702-2230. Reading the weather in Emma Gansett in honor of Eve Carlin's brand new book, Track 61, which we is a story between the Nazi uh, Nazi saboteurs who landed on Amagansett shores in June of 1942 with that of her maternal grandmother, Greta. Looking like a beautiful beach day, if you can make it so. High uh, near 82 on this sunny Wednesday. Southwest wind, 6 to 9 miles per hour. Make sure you bring your water wherever you go today. Increasing clouds tonight with a low around 69 degrees. Light southwest wind right now is 80 degrees. Keeping the music from all decades and genres going with a uh, more appropriate kind of track. The Andrew Sisters, uh, the Andrew Sisters, uh, Boogie Woogie Bugle Boy here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station. A Taste of Honey's Boogie Oogie Oogie on deck. And then uh, Judy Carmichael's cover of Honeysuckle Rose. From her and basically called her stride record of 1994. You can hear Judy Carmichael right here on Long Island's only local NPR radio station every Sunday at 7 o'clock. Jazz inspired right here on Long Island's only NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
famous trumpet man from all Chicago way. He had a bulky style that no one else could play. He was the top man at his craft. But then his number came up and he was gone with the draft. He's in the army now, a blowing reveille. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company P. They made him blow a bugle for his Uncle Sam. It really brought him down because he couldn't jam. The captain seemed to understand. Because the next day the cap went out and drafted a band. And now the company jumps when he plays reveille. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company P. A toot, a toot, a toot, a toot, he blows it into the bar. In boogie rhythm, he can't blow a note unless the bass and guitar is playing with him. He makes the company jump when he plays reveille. He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. He was a boogie woogie bugle boy of Company B. And when he plays boogie woogie bugle, he was busy as a bee. And when he plays, he makes a company jump A to the bar. He's a boogie boogie bugle boy of Company B. Do 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 da da do do da da. Do do he blows it A to the bar. He can't blow a note if the bass and guitar isn't with him. And the company jumps when he plays reveille. He's a boogie boogie bugle boy of Company B. Thank you. 
East Hampton author Eve Carlin joining us in just five minutes for the Wednesday Wisdom segment, underwritten by LTV. Judy Carmichael, the one and only, right here, right now on WLIWFM. It is the bottom of the 10 o'clock hour. Now, uh, one o- the bottom of the 1 o'clock hour, if you're listening to the replay, it means it's time for the Wednesday Wisdom segment, underwritten by LTV Studios in East Hampton. And our next guest is 
from East Hampton as well, the author of Track 61, Eve Carlin, joining us this morning. Good morning, Eve. Good morning, Deanna. How are you? I am very well and very excited to talk about your book, Track 61. Let's start off by really getting into it and talking about what Operation Pastorius is, how Track 61 merges it with your your uh, maternal grandmother, Greta, and how beautifully you weaved the stories together using the date of the Nazi saboteurs landing on Amagansett Shores, June 13th of 1942. Right, yeah. And on June 13th, 1942, 80 years ago this summer, um, a U-boat uh, dropped four men, Nazi saboteurs, off the coast of Amagansett, right around the Atlantic Avenue beach and the Coast Guard station there. Um, their mission was a sabotage mission, destroy perhaps aluminum plants and power stations on the East Coast, which would have been detrimental, detrimental for the new, uh, World War II war effort. Um, this story came to me because I grew up not far from there on, um, in Amagansett, and I had always known about the stories, but I, um, when I became more aware of the story, I realized that the men had landed virtually in front of the house where I used to live, and that I had lived in that house with my um, maternal grandmother, who was a German Jew who had fled Hitler. And the irony that I had lived there with my grandmother and that Nazis, who she had fled, um, landed on the beach virtually in front of her home right. seemed like the basis of a fabulous story. So I said about weaving those stories together. And fabulous it was, at least the job that you did, it ultimately led to, uh, that at least that incident, the largest and quickest mass execution, or, uh, execution of prisoners in the U.S., as you mentioned, in the afterward. Uh, unbelievable story. Can you can you talk a little bit about what it was like for you and for others in your family, perhaps uh, Greta herself, uh, to be German Jews? Well, I think, you know, the story resonates for me today because I think, you know, that was my grandmother's circumstances, but so many people um, have fled their homelands, even right. today we're witnessing it, feel like outsiders, assimilate but don't quite assimilate, have ties to their home. So um, I was very, very happy and pleased to be able to weave so many stories that I had heard about my grandmother's childhood and how naturally they fell into um, the historical story of the Nazi landing. Um, but I think her story is really universal. A lot of people you know, have similar longing and wants and suffering. Ultimately, um, they're very, very grateful for the being in this country and being safe and free. But um, it's, you know, it's clearly a challenging experience for so many. Can you talk a little bit about Track 61 and not only that, but Track M42? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the two threads of the story came together um, for me, I was looking for a New York City story, having written a New York City story in the past about a well that still exists on Spring Street in Manhattan that um, a young woman was murdered in. So I started 
you know, just looking at New York City haunts places I kind of love, and one of those places is Grand Central. Um, and when I looked, I discovered um, that there is a, a power station, the deepest sub-basement in New York, even today, um, about 10 stories below Grand Central. And during World War II, that station, um, that power station converted, it was a rotary converter station that supplied power to trains running up and down the East Coast. Um, and it also supplied power to aluminum plants that built airplanes, um, which were obviously vital for the war effort. Right. If that power station had been sabotaged, um, the aluminum plants would have been destroyed, and it would have taken up to a year to rebuild and replace them. Um, and that would have been just just uh, such a horrendous thing to happen at, at when the U.S. first became involved in World War II, um, about six months after Pearl Harbor. Now, alongside, or not exactly known, because it's not listed on any blueprint or map, um, below Grand Central is a private rail spur called Track 61. Um, that's kind of like urban legend. And basically, it was used to transport distinguished guests. Most notably, FDR used Track 61 when he came to New York City, after which he took a private elevator up to the Waldorf Astoria. Um, the elevator was large enough to accommodate his limousine, and in this way he was able to stay safe and hide his disability. So in my novel, which is historical fiction, um, one of the targets of the sabotage mission is uh, FDR arriving at on Track 61. It's so incredibly interesting, especially mm. when you consider uh, the reimagining of Grand Central. Um, and, and I'd love to talk a little bit further about historical fiction itself, because it seems like such a fantastic way to get people excited uh, about history and, uh, you know, almost trick them into learning more about uh, things that were. Can you talk a little bit about why why you write historical fiction yourself? I mean, I am a firm believer that truth is stranger than fiction. Amen. Um, and I do. Sometimes it's difficult to read um, a dry kind of history. Those do exist about the Nazi sabotage mission, but um, it just becomes such an intriguing story when you're able to supply dialogue I, you know, there's a wide range of historical fiction. I really like stories in which I learn something, especially something about where I live and the environment where I live. I mean, we all live adjacent to these beautiful beaches, um, but it's easy to go down there on a foggy evening to Atlantic Avenue and see the beach as it was 80 years ago and just imagine um, men, enemies of the United States landing there on the shores. And it's just one of those terrific stories. Hard to imagine that it happened here. Um, it did. It's unbelievable. And, um, you know, you talked about the research. You did a phenomenal amount of re research, read many books in order to write this one. Uh, before I let you go, Eve, well, I've got two questions. One, One is, do you feel in any way closer to your grandmother 
and to others in your family uh, by writing uh, Track 61? I'll tell you, my grandmother lived, she, she wound up coming to this country as an immigrant when she was about 16, and I was very, very close to her, and she lived to 101. So she, she died last summer. Um, and I do feel really pleased. I think adding her personal account to this amazing story just makes it so much, just like her stories came and resonated so deeply with me. I think that they really make the book so much more human. She has a story about a, a beloved dog she had that, and, and certainly so many terrible things happened during World War II, far, right. far more terrible than this. But her dog was, was shot by my great-grandfather rather than turn this German shepherd over for um, use by the military in Germany. Wow. And as a child, I, that really always struck me. I, I, know, I got chills just, imagine just hearing you say things. it. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, and I have photos of that dog. You know, like me, my grandmother loved dogs. So it's, it's really, it's one of these details. I don't think, I think you get these details um, from grandparents, from parents, you're lucky enough to know your great-grandparents, and there's really no replacing them. They're very personal. So so this book just came out, uh, and your grandmother died last year. I, I hope that you shared uh, mm-hmm. some pieces of the novel, and I'm sure she, she knew um, as well as she was able to what you were doing. Can you talk a little bit about her responses to the project? Well, I think, you know, I'm— she was always very supportive, and I don't. She was she was very well right into the end, and okay. and so that's the power of exercise because she always was a big exerciser. But um, yeah, no, I think I think it's it's kind of a lovely thing. The book is dedicated to her, and I'm I'm very pleased to have been able to do that and just to impart some of her personal stories. It's clearly fiction in many ways, but just a, a few of these things that she had passed down to me, I'm really happy to have been able to um, have them recorded well, in this novel. Well, I am unbelievably grateful to you for not only writing the book, but sharing with us this morning. I see you're a bookseller. Is it a bookstore in mm. East Hampton? If so, I'd love to direct folks there to buy your book, as well as encourage anyone, Thank if you. you're buying a book anywhere locally, uh, ask your local bookstore if it's not on the shelves, I imagine they can ask, uh, they can order it for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So are you, are you a bookseller in, in East Hampton? Yes, okay. I, I am. I work at Book Hampton, and I'm happy to sign anyone who wants to come in and buy the book. Fantastic. <laughs> the book for them. Have you done any signings so far? What, it, what has been the response so far, far uh, after publication? Um, we did a big book launch um, at Book Hampton, and I have been speaking, you know, around and, and done a, a couple radio gigs. I also got just the other day, which is amazing to me, um, an email from a descendant of one of the people involved, um, a real-life person who was a, a Coast Guardsman on the beach that night when the Nazis landed. And to hear from his granddaughter was really amazing for me. So the response has been terrific. Very cool. All right, Eve, Carlin, before I let you go, is there anything that we haven't talked about when it comes to Track 61 um, that you want to make sure that folks know? No, I just um, – I'm, I'm curious to know everyone's feedback. Go down to the um, 
Lifeguard Station in Amagansett. They have a wonderful um, exhibit and, and things from that night, the landing on the beach. So that's really interesting to see. And I'm, I'm happy you can um, reach me at www.evecarlinbooks.com, and I'm eager to hear from anyone. Are you back in the saddle before I let you go? What are you working on, if so? <laughs> it's really, really early. But again, another historical novel, which I do think that there's just, it's amazing how when I started to look at Grand Central, I found these links to my family. It happened the first time I wrote, and I'm kind of searching for that link again with my, a new story. Very cool. Eve Carlin, the book is called Track 61. Find it at Bookhampton, my friends. Eve will sign it for you. I'm Gianna Volpe. That was Eve Carlin. This was the Wednesday Wisdom segment, underwritten by LTV Studios, also in East Hampton. These are the Wrens and you, whoever you are out there. You're awesome. And you're listening to Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM.
darn good life and it's kind of funny how the lord made the bee and the bee made the honey and the honey be looking for a home and they called it a honeycomb and they roamed the world and they gathered all of the honeycomb in the one sweet fall and the honeycomb from a million trips made my baby's lips so honeycomb i want you to be my baby well the honeycomb be my own got a hank of hair and a piece of bone they made a walking talking Honeycomb, well, honeycomb, I want you to be my baby, well, a honeycomb be my own. What a darn good life when you got a wife like a honeycomb. Honeycomb. And the Lord said, now that I made a bee, I'm going to look all around for a green, green tree. And he made a little tree, and I guess you heard. Whopping, well, he made a little bird, and they waited all around until the end of spring. I get every note that the birdies sing, and they put them all in the one sweet tone. For my honeycomb, oh honeycomb, oh, won't you be my baby? Well, the honeycomb be my own. Got a hank of hair and a piece of bone that made a walking, talking honeycomb. Well, the honeycomb, oh, won't you be my baby? Well, the honeycomb be my own. What a darn good life when you got a wife like a honeycomb. Honeycomb. And the Lord said, Now that I made a bird, I'm gonna look all around for a little old word that sounds about sweet like. They're gonna call it love And he roamed the world Looking everywhere We're getting love from here Love from there And he put it all In a little old part Of my baby's heart Oh, honeycomb Won't you be my baby Well, the honeycomb Be my own Got a hank of hair And a piece of bone They made a walking Talking honeycomb Well, honeycomb Won't you be my baby Well, the honeycomb Be my own What a darn good life When you got a wife Like Honeycomb. Moving from Wren's surprise honeycomb to Jimmy Rogers' honeycomb. This is the head and the heart's honeybee before Pokey Lafarge's so long honeybee goodbye, which would end uh, the edition, the July 13 edition of, let's see, 2020. I guess it would be 2020. Since this uh, playlist was from two years ago today, I'll add uh, some more So Long tracks to the end of it. If we have any time, we are about 16 minutes out from the next NPR News update and the end of this edition of The Heart. I just want to give a deep bow to our guests this morning on the program. Uh, We had Robin uh, Berger-Gaston and Kathy Rosenthal of Family Service League as well as Eve Carlin on with us. Our underwriters 
Robert James Salon LTV, and you, the listener supporter of Long Island's only local NPR radio station, WLIWFM. Lion Babe, Marika Hackman, and Love Sad Kid. That's going to be the end of this show after Pokey Lafarge. I'm Gianna Volpe, the host of The Heart of the East End, the morning and midnight show here on WLI WFM. I travel around this country Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Seems like I've been everywhere. Been a lot of places, seen so many faces, but always wish that you were there. They say a picture's worth a thousand words Oh, but there's still a thousand stories That you have never heard Please tell me, darling
Say if pictures were thousand words, all over the still a thousand stories you have never heard. Please tell me, darling, are you still or true? All these times I go away from you. When it comes time for leaving, will you be grieving? Will you even wonder where I'm at? Yes, I got a feeling your love, someone will be stealing. You'll belong to them when I get back. Saying so long for the morning. Ah, gosh, I love this record. Lion Babe, so long from Cosmic Wind. On WLIWFM, NPR Radio.
Marika Hackman from her 2017 record, I'm Not Your Man, leading you into the NPR news break with Love Sad Kids, staying in 2017 so long with Garrett here on WLIWFM. We do give you it all, don't we? You are special, and you're listening to WLIWFM.